McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to PO4 Forecast, episode 197. Well, it's four wins in a row for Pompey, as the Blues remain top of League One. Join the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Hi, I'm very well, Hugh. Thank you. As you can tell, by, my voice is very hoarse from yesterday, but oh, what limbs and what scenes. Oh, I wish that was just my entire life, just how I felt after that last-minute winner. You want to bottle that feeling up, really, and just sort of embrace it for all time. Yeah, absolutely. Who, who, who would not want to do that? Yeah, we're sort of making a habit at the moment of late goals, comebacks, all that stuff after not being able to come back from 1-0 down for nearly two years. Being one oh, of the most God, oh, God that, yeah. I, I was reminded of that on, on Tuesday. <laughs> so I remember talking to the guys from Sunderland for their podcast, and they were surprised about how how basically I didn't think this team would win and we'd lose 3-0 and then I told them their stat and it just it was stunned silence for like 30 seconds <laughs> but, if I, but we seem well away from that thankfully massively mate talking about about being well away from things mate Andy Mitchmore is well away today because he unfortunately has a broadband problem we're not sure if he's been cut off not paying his bills or just generally because he has bad broadband he's in Oxford so Unfortunately, Andy's not going to be with us today, but just going back on before we get kicking, we, we need to think of something to do for this 200th episode. We were talking about it off, off mic earlier on, but we're going to think of something, people. We're going to try and think of something. You know, if you have any suggestions, re- respond to us on the, our social media platforms. Try and, you know, <laughs> make us jot our ideas down. And if the staggering good brewery are listening, maybe we should just do it there for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, why not? If they're actually going to listen to us, mate, for once. Yeah, we definitely give them enough promo for free, considering we're not remotely sponsored by them or anything weird like that. So I reckon they can pay us back. Two jugs of beer and, and record it there, potentially. Fred, I know you've been striking. Are you actually, have you managed to resolve your wage issues yet? Or are you still still striking effectively on and off? Uh, no, I think well, the strike period's ended. We're, uh, all reporters are under work to rule. So working like, you know what our hours are in our contract doing doing the job as best we can every day but you know not not going ridiculously over but if something big happens and we have to then we take time back it's how it is haven't heard anything else about potential strikes yet all i've heard is uh the owner of uh, the ports of news has bought another local paper in birmingham and apparently he's trying to get together a bid for the telegraph so there we are rather than pay you any more money you couldn't make it up could you yes rather than Give us a pay rise or give us another reporter. He, he wants he wants to telegraph, apparently. 
we might have to do what Andy suggested on the week we went on the podcast and go full Mussolini and basically get people to support you outside of the the pub or wherever. Where is it? Weatherspoons you were protesting? Uh, we were protesting Guildhall Square, so we were just in front of the main hall. Uh, we went spins afterwards, but not while not while we were actually demonstrating, obviously. Yeah, fair enough. It was a really nice picture of you in the BBC News. Let's go on to some housekeeping here quickly. Steve bought us some coffees from findmeacoffee.com, so thank you, Steve, for donating to that. And he, I particularly like this, by the way, Fred, because said well done to me for editing to get the episode out. None of you have ever thanked me for doing the editing. Well, you know I appreciate how you do the editing every time. You know, that's already. Yeah, sort of. Sort yeah, of. and it was nice to see Steve, actually. He he stood next to me at the game against Derby. And it was awesome for, to, to, to chat to him there, chat about Pompey a little bit in, in between. And yeah, what what an awesome game that was. Shame he missed the winner, but there we are. Do you know what? If you listen on Spotify and you want to leave some feedback, good negative whatever you want to ask us a question about the episode just click on the q a thing and people have been leaving some feedback and publishing it so cheers tyler for last time as well um all right let's just get into what we're doing today so first of all we're going to review the game against wigan following from that we are going to review the game yesterday where freddie's voice is still broken from of course the win against wickham and then we put a question out to you guys and we said with the players who are currently suspended with robertson and paul out the team and obviously pack probably not going to be playing either spoiler alert we wanted to know who you guys want to put into the team to play at the weekend and finally we spoke to johnny from the ale and vale podcast to work out everything you need to know for the game on saturday against port vale right wigan freddie it's one of those away games you think up north it's a long journey and last season you've got to think that it's a game that could be a, a sort of a banana skin because even though they're sort of down the bottom of the table, obviously they have the points deduction that sort of skews it a little bit. I know they're not on the best run of form, but it was one of those games, wasn't it, where you sort of had this early chance in the game where um, Sparks whips, us in, whips a great ball into Bishop and the keeper just gets ahead of him, just manages to punch it clear and Morel shot. I mean, bless Joe Morel. He's not the player you want it to fall to on the edge of the box, but just sort of loops in nicely to the goalkeeper. But it was quite a strong start to the game, I thought, before Wigan ultimately went on to score the first goal. Yeah, I had that game down as, well, potential banana skin because Wigan have got some good players. They've still got Charlie Wyke up front who has scored goals at this level several times. They've got Stephen Humphreys who's also scored goals at this level. Sessegnon at fullback as well. They've got a lot of good players. Yeah, Sam Tickle half spilled it, but it fell to Morale. He didn't exactly catch it properly, did he? It went straight to the keeper. And then it sort of went behind from there, unfortunately. Yeah, it did. And it was quite interesting because Wigan in this game didn't really try and play through us at all. They just sort of tried to, you know, sit back and then hit balls forward and try and hit us with pace. And this is sort of what happened. The ball was worked down the right-hand side. Eventually, it sort of played across. Charlie White plays this lovely little flick over and then another player heads it on. And the only thing I'd say when Goddard goes through one-on-one against Rafferty is maybe he could try and show him outside a bit more. Gives him a little bit of space. He's able to cut inside. Hits a nice shot. Norris can't do anything about it. And it's one now. Yeah, defending was a bit ropey, but it was great play from Wigan to actually get the ball out in the first place. Omar Rekic who I wonder if he's related to the racket that played for Portsmouth. I've no idea. We'll find out, I suppose. But he brought the ball out. Again, superb flick on by Charlie White to Scott Smith, who then 
played the ball through for Godo. And yeah, I think I would have liked Rafferty to have done a bit better there, been a bit more touch tight because Godo had a lot of space to get on his strong foot. And it was a lovely finish in the end, but he had acres of space on that side, unfortunately. But as Pompey do at the moment, you managed to answer with a pretty, pretty quick goal, really. Um, it's a corner. Sparks comes in. He's looked good the ball at his feet, isn't he? From a dead ball as well as from a crossing basis. Puts the ball into the box. Bishop flicks it on. Shaughnessy gets the gets the gets the connection, and then Paul basically robs the goal, David Nugent style, to make it one-one. I was going to say I, I knew his name was going to come up, but but no, yeah, Shaughnessy did really well to get on the end of the corner. And they just sort of just cannons off uh, off Paul and goes in. But I, I'll take that all day long. I want my centre-halves fighting over who scored because, well, they're coming up with a lot of chances. And it's good that Pompey are actually coming up with so many of their opportunities from corners and set-pieces in general. I know there was a period, I think there was a period under Danny Cowley where we didn't score a goal from open play for ages, but our results were okay because we kept on scoring from free kicks and corners. But no, it, it, sides that get promoted are simply above average at set pieces. And Jack Spark's been excellent at that. His crossing's also been really good. You can tell that even though he's putting putting the balls into the box a lot, his accuracy's still up there. And uh, yeah, it was a lovely in-swinging corner that caught, caught the defenders by surprise, really. Yeah, and this is the game as well. I thought the Marlon Pack did pretty well in the centre of midfield. Just that basis to sort of switch the play a little bit when needed. Obviously, we're playing the ball around nicely in this game, but... I thought Pack put his foot on the ball and he played this sort of really nice ball out to Robertson who managed to sort of beautifully control it on his on his chest. And that start of, sort of started a bit of an attack for Pompey, didn't it? And Kamara and Sparks then later on just sort of link up on the left-hand side. The ball sort of like worked into the box there. And then Robertson basically manages to get a toe on it and lay it back to Paddy Lane and eventually it manages to go in. That is a very difficult finish that he took there. It, it didn't set him very nicely at all. He was on it. He was on his left foot, which was good, his preferred foot, but he still had to angle it properly and hit it into the ground so he didn't blaze into Rosette. Very good cross by Pack to be able to get it to the edge of the penalty area. Rafty with a very good head, headed back across. And Robert Robertson's impressing me a lot with his defensive work. Obviously, we knew before he signed for Pompey that he'd be very good on the ball very good range of passing but the fact that he's able to battle with these league one defenders and midfielders win the ball and then play it across he's showing he can compete at a men's level he's been excellent and lane has been really good with the opportunity he's had because he's taken the right wing spot from charlie white and he's not charlie white gavin white and he's not letting go of it yeah paddy lane's been really good as well hasn't he just going forward it's been great i think the the paddy lane on one side, Kamara on the other side. Both of them are threats, aren't they? Both of them can get assists. Both of them can, can you know, chip in with the goal as well. And it's just really good to see because we were worried a little bit at the start of the season when we sort of had good play down, you know, down the sides, but not necessarily creating anything or scoring from wide. And now you can see what a change it is when we have those wingers who are actually contributing with goals and assists. And um, we'll come on to talk about Kamara, obviously, in the next game where he chips in with that as well. But, you know, just just that sort of ability to come back again against Wigan and really sort of turn the screw again. It just shows what you know what we what going on here. Let's carry on and talk about the red card quickly. Charlie White, it's a red card, isn't it? It's a dangerous challenge. He's lunged in. I think it's a stonewall red. Oh, it is stonewall. It is what my dad calls a striker's challenge because he shouldn't have been, he shouldn't have been diving into there. He was nowhere near the ball in the first place. 
goes straight through Pack, and then the follow through leg hits him as well. We're going to talk about Pack's injury news later on because that was a nasty challenge, and there's no real argument for it really. Before that, there was that handball incident in the penalty area where it sort of rolled down Pack's shoulder and hits his other arm. I'll be probably a bit lucky there, I think. I think some referees would have probably given it, which I think says a lot about consistency of officiating, even though really that's consistency of officiating is something that we're never going to get, really. It's just a official's interpretation. But if it was the referee we had against Derby County, they would have just given that, I think. I've seen those given plenty of times. So Pompey riding their luck there a tiny bit. I'm still a little bit confused, to be honest, about the handball rule. I, I mean, I did see online someone said it came off his head first and onto his hand, and therefore it's it's not a penalty. I'll be honest, it's one of those ones that if it was against you the other way around, and we'd be screaming for a penalty, wouldn't we? Like he juggled it, we'd almost be saying, and therefore oh, it's right, not... Like, like the fickle football hand. fans we are, yes, we would have done. Yeah, but we'll take that. We'll take that and move on. We'll just go on the idea that it's not a pen on the letter of the law, shall we? But... You know, that's how it goes. And to be honest, Wigan provided quite a lot of pressure, tried to sort of turn the screw on us. They actually looked better, I think, with 10 men than they did with 11 men. They sort of changed the formation up, didn't they? And at the end of the day, Pompey just saw the game out and managed to win 2-1. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only other thing to mention afterwards was there was a, that shot from Gavin White where he went onto the flick-on from Bishop, managed to cut in on his right foot, skinned two, skin two defenders. And it was a very good save by Tickle at his near post. If he hit it a bit differently, White, White could have easily scored that for 3-1. There was the pressure from Wigan at the end, but to be honest, I thought Pompey looked reasonably comfortable. I don't, there wasn't really any high-quality chance from looking at the XG or anything like that. I think at the end of the, the match, it ended up 1.65 expected goals for Pompey and then 0.68 for Wigan. So it showed that Pompey had roughly better clear-cut chances, the high, pre- the, the high press from the Blues was very good, progressive passing accuracy was very high, they were able to get the ball up the pitch very successfully as well. So no, solid away performance, nothing wrong with it, and that game could have easily gone wrong, but I think after the red card, Pompey played it sensibly and locked it down, which is good to see. Let's move on to Wickham. You were at the game, I couldn't make it down, because I was working in London and can't get down in time unless I managed to scrounge working from home and drive down which wasn't possible this time you uh, people listening will hear that Freddie's voice is a little bit deeper than usual he's still trying to get his voice back from celebrating yesterday Jim, just give us a little overview of what you thought about in the stand oh in the stand the atmosphere was brilliant in the second half I thought first half was a bit ropey and we'll go through that a little bit because I didn't think the first half performance was very good at all not just because Pompey conceded from that corner but the fans were able to get behind them a little bit, and especially after Bishop got the equaliser. And yeah, that, those limbs in that stand, you, you can't match it, I think. I, think. Uh, it, I was there for that game and Derby away as well with the last-minute winner. Oh, I can't, can't get enough of it, really. Bottle that up. So let's get on to the game, I suppose. Vokes has an early chance where Bishop does what he does best usually and sort of tries to link the play up a little bit, tries to link it up, drops deep, and his pass ends up going back to Vokes. We all know Norris likes to play a little bit further up usually, or you know he's looking to get the ball and, and be an option there, which has really helped our build-up. But 
Vokes obviously spots a gap there. Blast one. Goes wide of the post. Luckily for us. Do you think Norris is getting there? Bits on the inside of the post? Uh, probably. I wasn't worried about that chance, really. I don't remember being very shocked by it. Um, I think throughout the game, Wickham, they were very solid defensively. We'll go on to that a little bit more after Pompey conceded. It was, it was a team press, though, wasn't it? But they didn't really... I don't think they had an outlet at all, really. McCleary was... Gareth McCleary is older age. I think he's in his mid-30s still. But he's still got that turn of pace, and he's carrying that front three. Because Vokes really didn't do much in this game, aside from that shot. And Brandon Hanlon is still underperforming his XG now, like he has for the past half a decade. So it's not as if... If they had a proper striker, I think I would have been more worried. I think McCleary played really well for them, but it was good that they didn't really have that attacking outlet, I think, to test the defence. Yeah, in the first half, did you think it was the shape, the way they set up against us, that causes problems? Because I think what I thought was good, they had the two, and then they basically pressed our sort of left-back, right-back when they got the ball, and it sort of seemed to stop us building up and playing out from the back fluidly. And because they were on us there and sort of pressed high, we, we we really struggled, didn't we, to get our game going in the first half? Yeah, absolutely. It forced Pompey to pass down the middle effectively because when folks and Hanley would press the fullback, the passing would go between Shotnessy and Paul and then maybe Burrell or Robertson would drop, uh, would drop in. But then they would turn, face the opposition goal and then there'd be midfielders and defenders in the way. They would clog up the middle of the pitch stifling Pompey really well because I think Pompey only had what three shots in that first half barely created anything really and that was most of the attackers as well Kamara harsh but he might have been a bit braver in terms of skin, trying to skin a few people but he was double marked whenever it was on the on the wing Paddy Lane didn't have the impact that he did against Wigan uh, in that first half and then Bishop basically Richard Keogh sat on him for basically most of the game man marking him and they have Luke Leahy as well, who played at the back, who's played in midfield before, I believe, from memory. So they made it incredibly difficult. And it was even more difficult when we conceded first, because you don't want to concede first against Wickham when you know how they're how they're gonna play. It's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, massively frustrating. And just suppose just going on to that then, Luke Leahy just loves to score a goal against Pompey, but doesn't get this goal, but he puts a corner into the box and to be honest, Scowan gets there with a sort of flick into the net. I don't know if you can really say anything bad about the defending here. Obviously, you want to be first the ball, but... It would it would have been nicer if the centre-half was able to get in between the goal and him, I think. It was also close to the goal and then it, on the, on, sitting on the post. It was a strange goal, really, because it was an in-swinging corner that was very close to the goal line. Very close to the goal line, so... Actually, very good play from Scoan to be able to get his foot on the ball and divert it goalwards. I wish the defending was a bit better, but uh, no, it set back it set back Pompey a lot. And then, obviously, from that half hour when they scored, the time wasting kicked in. the The arguing with the referee after every single challenge kicked in. Some tackles were flying in. Tino Andrin got crocked in half an hour, and then there was a the few minutes where he was down and he didn't really do much else for the first half after he. Basically got basically got tackled very severely. It's, I, I don't want to be horrible, but I hate sides that play like that. To be honest, because they didn't have anything else. I don't. I, I generally they weren't a good team. I've seen other teams play better at Fratton Park, but they didn't have the attacking outlet to play 
properly and like a proper counter-attacking side, they effectively just tried to lock it down from 1-0 after half an hour after scoring from a corner. And teams that do that only have a certain ceiling, I think. Yeah, and you spoke about Andrew in there. He had some nice touches earlier on in the game, I thought, sort of moving it past people. It's quite clear, though, that he's going to be rusty and take a bit of time to go up to steam. It's quite unfortunate, again, that he's got injured, considering his injury his injury history. I don't know if there's any any update on that, Fred. We'll come on to later. No? But it, it seemed like the sensible thing to take him off. And we just, I mean, we can go back to some other bits, but I suppose this flows into a little bit, the introduction of Christian Sadie. Because he made such a big difference in this game, watching it. I think his ability to sort of drop in, collect the ball, beat a player, and then move it sort of forward gave us a platform we didn't have in the first half. It was that sort of outlet that sort of brought the midfield into the game, allowed the fullbacks to get forward as well past this press because they were getting sort of, you know, pinned in our own half in the first half. And you bring on Christian Sadie. I mean, the man also had four successful dribbles in this game. One of those that was right down the left-hand side where he beat multiple players and then carried on and ended up sort of like winning a throw-in deep in deep in opposition territory. But, you know, obviously got the fans, it sounded like, watching it back on side. Well, not back on side, but just riled them up, I suppose. What do you think about the, the the massive difference in how we played with the introduction of Sadie coming on for Tino Andrian? Oh, he completely galvanised his side. 100%. Completely different teams from when Sadie came on. It was his positional sense. He was always in the right place in the in the area of the final third and in the build-up. Always being there for, for Morel or Robertson if they wanted to pass. And like you said, the, the ball stuck to his feet like glue sometimes. Yes, he, he gave the ball away a few times and got tackled, but he's always there in the duels every single time. And against Wickham, you have to do that. You need physical players sometimes to be able to deal with that pressure at, at Football League level. Basically, he came on and set up that first chance where he collected the ball on his right foot, t- turned, beat a player, played the ball down the right through ball to Paddy Lane. And that was the first proper cross he had in the entire game. Low cross over to Abu Kamara. And I think if he was a, a yard further forward, he would have got a better connection on it and scored. It was a shame that he didn't. But after that, you could see the work being done, I think, because it was obvious that since Wickham were going to clock up the pitch, Pompey had to go down the wide areas because that's where they were going to get the space. There are a lot of crosses in this game. I mean, Pompey, I looked in the league, have averaged 22 crosses this season. In that game, they had 38 38 crosses in total, which was pretty insane. Sparks had 12 on his own. And in a, in a game where Wickham weren't being physical in the defensive area, it was sort of game where Sparks could play very well because him and Kamara had, they didn't have an uncontested time in those wide areas, but he had the space to be able to put the cross, put those crosses in regularly. And 33% crossing accuracy. I think any player who does that has done a fine job. And with all those crosses in especially. And then all that good play down the wide areas paid off in the end, I think, for the first goal. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, from a throw-in and it gets played out and throws into Kamara, who manages to get the ball likely where he wants it and just squares it really to Bishop to to thump home. Just needed that little bit of that bit of movement, that space down the down the wide side, and then just be able to put a ball into Bishop, who's doing what he does always, really, and putting himself in a position to score. Yeah, absolutely. That was the first chance that Bishop pretty much had all game. That throw in, ladies and gentlemen, is why you never let do a long throw ever. No long throws into the penalty area that just get headed away by the first man. 
it was even, it wasn't even a quick throw by Sparks. It was a measured throw that was over two defenders and took them completely out of the game altogether. And then Kamara was able to bring it onto a strong foot on the left, drew, uh, floated it, sort of floated it low into the into the danger area, the six-yard box, and Bishop was there. Brilliant striker play. And the fact that he had to deal with lost probably a lot of his aerial duels in this game because he was double marks like he usually is and bullied to a certain extent. Sometimes he's a bit isolated, but no, that's that's brilliant centre-forward play. That is what... what is going to get Pompey out of this division if they if they do in the end. But no, I thought that was an excellent goal. And then afterwards, Pompey were on top for pretty much all the second half. I also think Joe Morrell did well in this game by roaming a bit more, so especially when we were playing further up the pitch and it allowed with Sadie as that platform. Joe Morrell was doing lots of link-up play, lots of passing, sort of shifting Wickham sort of left and right, which is what's needed when you're playing a team who are sort of in a very organised structure. You've got people like, for instance, more than one person having to come into Sadie, which opens up space. And then you've got, say, Joe Morrell coming forward. There was some nice passing at one point down the left-hand side and Joe Morrell then makes a run through and manages to, to win a free kick on the edge of the box and the left-hand side, which ends up in that sort of like free, that for a quick free kick that's taken and just knock through to knock through there to Robertson. Obviously, it doesn't end in a goal because I think it was Kamara to the shot and it deflects, I think it is. And... Yeah, ends up in the keeper's arms, but it was just that intuition needed that get the ball down quickly before they could get back into structure. And I think Joe Morrell did an excellent job of it, really, especially with Marlon Pack out. If Pompey lost the midfield in that game, they would have lost it altogether, I think, because the way that Wickham set up. But Robertson and Morrell played incredibly well. They were defensive enough to win the ball back often. They didn't get bullied physically. They were able to bring the ball out and Pass to the wide areas where Pompey were going to be dangerous in this game. Dangerous in this game, and I thought they were brilliant. Uh, but that was helped a lot by Sadie, who came on, and he was my man of the match. I know he didn't get an goal and assist in this game, but he was the player that tilted the game in Pompey's favour. Yeah, hundred percent did, and it just goes to show that when we go to look forward and does he start and you've got all this squad rotation who should play etc but just shows how what a good squad we've got at the moment which I think is what a lot of Pompey fans are excited about the fact that someone like Sadie can come on or start or you can change it up and it's just really good to watch and then talking about why you lost your voice because Sparks after banging in corners and crossing I think there was 15 corners in this game for Pompey I mean it's it's quite unreal. Anyone who bet over a certain amount of corners is having a great time. But ball into the box and sparks. I remember last season, our delivery from corners was so bad. When we had like Robertson taking like corners, you know, the centre back and no one could really hit one properly. And now we seem to be playing corners into, into dangerous positions and put into the box. Keeper tries to come for it doesn't quite get it and Sean as he's there he wants it more and he heads home 98th minute 2-1 Pompey what a win and very well deserved as well and I find it funny that one, the one Wiccan player who I've praised often enough before previews Max Striak I think he's a great keeper but my god he was terrible there <laughs> he was absolutely woeful for going up for that ball my god it was nowhere near it when so it goes up one-handed for the one-handed punch away, nowhere near a foul because Shocknessy basically jumped up with him and was behind him pretty much. 
keeper or, or, or as or level if you want to be kind to the keeper keeper completely misses it shot is it with the brilliant header and it was superb superb scenes i loved will norris running all the way from the penalty area in about what seemed to be about 20 seconds to be able to get in front of the fratten end again oh well deserved thoroughly deserved and especially in a game where the fans could have easily got on the team's back because again we were playing a team that brought 200 people time wasting after half an hour scored from arguably a defensive error from a corner and then sat in the entire game it was what the Blues deserved 100% for me do you think that's because of the run of form and the ability to come back into games now that fans are effectively more on board with the team and the crowd's more on board and I mean it just makes a more pleasant environment and a nicer experience as a fan but is that maybe that belief is there more now and and it sort of keeps fans going? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think that's a big thing. I I know the atmosphere dips in the first half because the first half was poor, I I, I would say as much. But they grew into the game slowly. I wouldn't wouldn't say it was perfect atmosphere, but still, they they backed the players and the the players gave it back to them. Um, I think the only other things to say in this game, they had a very good press. They had 7.77 passes per defensive action they were able to press high into those spots to be able to regain the ball back and then control that second half which is what they needed to because otherwise it could have easily run away from them and it would have been a frustrating one all draw or, or perhaps even a defeat let's talk about the yellow cards quickly i think alex robertson should be aggrieved they got a yellow card for what messino described as should have been a penalty i think when you go for that ball to be honest, there's nothing you can do about that at all. I do not think that's a dangerous challenge. And I know that the Wickham fans feel aggrieved because of the goal. They think it shouldn't have been given as such. I think it's a goal. There are Pompey fans who are goalkeepers who, I don't know if you've got Pompey goal as a keeper, he thinks it should have been a foul. There are some other people online saying, I'm a keeper, I'll be outraged. Look, goalkeepers. Put the goalkeepers union away. Yeah. Because that wasn't a foul. It's not a foul. Um, I don't see how Robertson could have been carded there. Uh, I don't, to be honest, in, in in live, I didn't see how the the foul was given the other way because I thought it was a collision and coming together. It's very confusing, very confusing. I didn't think the referee had a horrendous game, but he was very picky. I thought he loved the conversation, didn't he? And there was another thing as well. I thought of was that there was a lot of times where we thought we should have a corner and it was given for a goal kick. So. There was a, I don't know if there was any assistant referees who just weren't looking or couldn't see it, but the referee was constantly giving a goal kick when we thought it should have been a corner. So it was one of those games I don't think the fans can be over-aggrieved on. I know the Wigan fans are also annoyed at the referee, but I think this is just one of those things in League One. We're going to have to get used to it, and sometimes it's going to go for you and sometimes it's going to go against you. I, 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 yeah, I can't be bothered to argue about bad officiating anymore unless it's painfully obvious because you know if i want to live a few more years on this earth i don't don't want to get stressed about refereeing decisions really because it's just going to happen and it'll even out eventually and if if your team's good enough you'll get promoted regardless anyway so yeah exactly do you think that i mean regan pauls is a definite yellow that's what i like to call oh yeah that is a yellow card (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is definitely a booking because um was it where his pass was intercepted and then it was a heavy Defender touch, basic. basically. And yeah. he had a bit of a heavy touch. And it was one of those situations where he's got a tracking runner behind him. But if he beats him, it's going to be like a one-on-one. So he does the smart thing and just 
takes him down because it's quite a way away from the goal, isn't it? It's like midway into into a half or something. So from memory, so because of that, it, it's it's completely the right thing to do, and you've got to take that one on the chin. And when we come on to the listener question and we talk about who fits in for him, but Regan Paul take a bow is exactly the right thing to do in that game. Um, I did think that Wickham they did, you know. When they did go forward, when they sort of hit on the counter, I suppose a little bit, they did try and try and get a goal, you know, as such, and try and create chances. And maybe if they had someone more clinical up front, they would have actually been able to get a goal because there were chances for for Wickham in this game. I think that's what that team's missing, to be honest. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, Gareth McClear is good enough at receiving the ball and driving with pace, but there was no outfit for him at all, to be honest. I thought Vokes was poor. I didn't see him. Typical scummer, really, at Fratton Park, disappearing. But, you know, there we are. And then Brandon Hannah, I don't particularly rate either, to be honest. No, neither do I. And he's just that one player who's constantly competing with Marquis to underperform his XG, right? I'll have to I'll have, to have a look and compare them over the seasons, but yeah. <laughs> just do a little, a little thing where we watch, track the two players and see who's doing worse. Fred, what's going on in the news? Uh, the only main thing is just uh, the injuries and the suspensions, really. So Connor Ogilvy still considered touch and go at left back. Obviously, Sparks has filled in admirably in his absence. Marlon Pack's injury after the challenge against Charlie White, as reported by Neil Allen in the news, is a left ankle problem uh, that was worse than Massinho thought. He said that although the injury isn't horrendous, Pack is nowhere near being able to play and he's going to have a scan. So I hope it isn't horrible. I hope it's not long term. It sounds like sounds like a month at least by that by the sounds of it, if it's that bad. But we do have depth in the centre of the field, which is good. But no, fingers crossed, Pack's all right because that was a nasty challenge. Obviously, a lot's been made about all the players who are unavailable. I've got the full list. So we got this is injury and suspension all rolled into one. So we got Marlon Pack, Alex Robertson, Regan Paul, Connor Ogilvie. Cassidy Yenge, Anthony Scully, and Tom Lowry. So I think, if, if my math is right, that's six or seven, I believe. <laughs> I wasn't counting, to be honest. You, you, you didn't count it along with me? No. No, no you know if I'm like counting. <laughs> you know if I'm counting, because then I've got my fingers going at the same time, you know? One, two. But yeah, no, that is a lot of players to be out injured. Luckily, we've got quite a deep squad, and we're going to come on to that now in the listener question. So we put a question out to you guys, and we said... Robertson and Paul are both suspended for the game versus Port Vale, as well as the injuries that Freddie just mentioned a second ago. Who should come in and replace them on Saturday? And thanks to everyone that meshed in. We really appreciate it. It makes the show. Sean meshed in and says, we should adopt the KISS strategy. Keep it simple, silly. Stevenson's for Robertson, Raggett's for Paul, and Sadie for Angerin. Let's make it five wins in a row before the break be nice to keep it going before the break, obviously. Do you think we should be keeping it simple? Stevenson in for Robertson? I think Stevenson, we always thought, Fred, let's start there, was going to be the sort of pack replacement for when pack wasn't there. Obviously, Devlin's come in and maybe got a bit more time ahead of him. So do you expect Stevenson to drop in now and play in that centre midfield role? Uh, I do, yes. Um, purely because he's the archetypal replacement for pack and pack is gone. In an ideal world, he'd have, I think, Robertson played into that role, as we've seen him play deeper for the past few games. And I think he's very good there. I do like him uh, in a deeper role, I think. 
But no, this is what Ben Stevenson's for. When I've seen him in the cup games, he seems very solid, got a good range of passing, very sensible. Is able to move in the defensive areas to be able to receive the ball from the centre backs. And I think that's a good option to have. And this is the sort of game to bring him in as well. Might not be popular with some people, but I do think Sean Braggart should come in for Regan Paul. Obviously, we mentioned this. We will go over this in uh, the Port Vale interview, but they have just signed Duce Piazzu, a six foot four centre forward who can cause a lot of problems, very good aerially. So I think we need a defender to match him up. And Messino seems to trust Raggett a lot, bringing him on the last few minutes of a lot of games to steady some things. So I do think he'll come in. So And yeah, I think Sadie's played his way into starting against Portville. I think he really has. I think Andrewin might be, while his fitness isn't brilliant, I think he's the sort of player to come on and chase the game. But but, but you can't ignore that Sadie performance. He, he, he changed the Wickham game and he deserves to start, in my opinion. Even though Shaughnessy's quite tall, the fact that he's shown, isn't he, over the, the season that he's actually a really good ball player as well. So I think that could work with with Raggett as well. There is obviously the, the the concern that we're not that pacey at the back if you do that. So I think you're going to see Stevenson drop in a little bit there in that hole and sort of try and help them out a bit when, when needed. But the only other option really is to play Riley Towler and he's not had a great start to the season so far. So I don't know if throwing him into a game with a potentially six foot four striker is actually the, the right way to go about it. It could just be a damning of the confidence sort of situation. No, I don't think it's a good move either because really... Like you mentioned earlier, with Raggett playing at the back, the ball playing out through the middle will be a bit suspect because Stevenson will have to drop deeper, which means that Morel, who will probably play alongside him, will also have to drop deeper. So I think the way that Pogba had to build out is through the wide areas. Because presumably Joe Rafferty will start at right back, Sparks probably left back because Sparks and Kamara seem ideal and, and that partnership is growing. So they're going to have to play out from the wide areas, I think. And that's the only way they're going to build up reliably. Um, and I think, yeah, exactly. I think Towler's ball playing isn't brilliant. He's a solid defender, solid defender positionally, but against a six foot four striker and a team like Port Vale who are going to press in certain scenarios and probably especially press Pompey's defence when they're playing out. I think this is the wrong game to throw him in, I think. Jack said that we should do exactly the same as what I said about by Josh, but he wants to see White come in for Kamara. Do you think that's just to give a bit more defensive stability? I suppose. I, I've yeah, always, I, I, yeah, I think that's where they. I think that's where they're coming from because White is very reliable defensively. He's put in a lot of very good tackles as well. Gets up and down. He's definitely got the stamina for it. I thought Kamara had an up and down game against Wickham. Put in a few decent crosses. Obviously, set up the goal, which is brilliant. Looked dangerous in certain scenarios, but he hasn't been as brave as I would have liked. Some of his crossing was a bit ropey, and sometimes he got pushed out wide by defenders as well. So that is something to consider. Um, but I think Kamara's done enough there, given that he got the assist against Wickham to start, and then White's the player that you bring on. I think a call ahead, perhaps. Josh Lithmesh in, he says, I'm starting to believe, and it's frankly a bit scary, to leave my comfortable, cynical zone. Where are you guys on the belief spectrum? Will we beat Charlton or just settle for promotion? Freddie, where are you on the beliefs on the belief scale? I mean, 
at this moment in time, it's it's looking a little bit. Well, I mean, to be honest, when I, when we did our season predictions, did you predict fifth? Sixth, I think. Okay, so Andy predict fifth, and I predict fourth because it went up one, one, one. And I was thinking, because we couldn't predict the same one, and I was thinking at the time, okay, I'll go for fourth then, as I as host, kindly let you guys choose first. At the moment, it's looking all right for me. I know um, when the listeners Tim Foot said he said we're going to come second, and he feels confident now that we're he's he's doing the best in the in the prediction league. But as far as that goes, I suppose expectations. I wanted us to finish top six and just push from there, and anything can happen. I'm pretty confident at this moment in time by the fact that we do have quite a deep squad, and I think after this game as well, we're going to know how good that squad depth is with some key players missing as well against Port Vale. But at this moment in time, I don't think there's any reason, apart from not being silly, I suppose, not to get carried away and just enjoy the ride where it's happening. And the problem is we've been hurt by this team too many times. The Blues have gotten to an excellent start to the season multiple times and then have fallen away for various reasons. But this Port Vale game is a massive test, especially with the squad depth issues. I will feel a lot better and I would go up the belief spectrum if Pompey win this game fairly comfortably with all the rotation because I think Port Vale are a good side. They're going to be in and around the top half, so they're not they're not they're no pushovers at all. But from there, it's strange. I don't. I'm not scared of Pompey playing against any specific team, and we have some good results now against sides who are up there. Obviously, Derby away, strong result, one or draw when arguably could have won the game and had more of it. Very good possession in that game. Blowing Barnsley away, I know we conceded too late, but a big win away at Oakwell, which is massive. I'm not going to go and say I'm a full believer yet because I've been stung too many times. I'm not going to be one of those cynical people that's, that's immediately just going to say, oh, we're just going to drop off and finish 10th or whatever. No, that's nonsense. I'm going to sit back and watch the games come in and hopefully get go up that spectrum slowly the more the more good results the Blues get. Do you have the belief to say then that this is a top six team in the, in League One? Because that was a that's something that even last season I would think not sure. Because even though the results were there, the performances weren't necessarily there in the same way. We weren't necessarily dominating games and coming back in games, etc. So do you feel that you can be confident enough to say that this is a top six League One team? Oh God, Hugh, what are you doing? Putting handing me a question like that. There's a potential top six side there. If we go through this run of games with these players missing and we wobble a bit, then there's a worry. And there's still Pompey's still got to play some very good teams. Still haven't played Oxford yet. Still haven't played Bolton yet. There's still a few question marks for me. And I think that's fair enough. I don't think that's being overly cynical. I think it's as good this is a good side a strong side especially and these players have got the character to be able to pull themselves out of a hole when they're 1-0 down which is excellent to see and they seem very well balanced but I'm going <laughs> to say they're a top six side after I see more games I think I was listening to Not Top 20 and Ali Maxwell described Pompey as having a very high floor it was just working out how high the ceiling was I've got I'm sort of getting a bit carried away here but I sort of feel the, the floor is is top six I'm going to put that out there now. I, I would, I would say it's top half easily. The floor, I would say it's like ninth, eighth. 
if we go below that, that's a disaster at this point, I think, especially with the players we have. Considering Pompey in this league, I'm not going to say, I can't say that they're nailed on top six already. Now I can't. I can't. Not after 10 or 11 games. Yeah, that's fair enough. We've gone past 10 games. We said that we would get to September and people are asking us where we think we're going to finish. We said we'd judge it at the end of September. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to put that question out there. Uh, George Slatcher mentioned in and he says, I would have Sadie attacking midfielder and of course Pack if he's available, but if not, Devlin. I just want to say how excited I am for this season. How are you boys feeling? Not getting ahead of yourselves. Don't know. I think I've just done that, George. Or are you starting to get excited? Love the pod. Cheers, George. Yeah, um, Devlin in for Pack, basically, in that role, or Robertson. Next to Morel, we'll just say then. There we go. I wouldn't be against it, and it, it is quite... I know that Stevenson seems to fit the the mould of who we think from a tactical basis and the, and the player mould, etc. But I wouldn't be too surprised if Devlin actually got the nod, considering he's been the player who's been brought on to work hard, help shut teams down, isn't he, as the, as the extra midfielder. So I think it, people may be penciling in Stevenson because of the sort of player he brought in. But maybe Massinho's seen something from the training ground that he's given him more game time for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a proper box-to-box midfielder as well. So he's able to defend and get in those gritty areas, but he's also able to add a lot going forward and be that link with the attacking midfielder as well. And he's produced when he came on, got the assist for Colby Bishop against Derby. Uh, People say he didn't know a lot about it, but, you know, he was in the right area sticking his foot out. So very positive. And he's got a bright future ahead of him. I'm just assuming that Pompey will start in a bit more stable way, I think, because there's a lot of changes in the side. It's not just one position, it's at several. It's basically three quarters of the spine of the team, isn't it? There's, I know you've got Norris and Gold, but with changing the centre-half and changing the centre midfielder, there's a lot there. So, yeah, I think Stevenson to start, but I wouldn't be upset if Devlin starts, if he's given them nod. Do you think if Paul was playing, then it's more likely that he would have given Devlin a chance? Do you think? Probably. Be- yeah. Probably. Do you think- do you think because of that, without Regan Paul, he's thinking maybe go a bit safer? Yeah, and I think that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that has a lot of experience. And like I said earlier, with, with if Sean Braggett's playing, then obviously Pompey playing the ball out from the back would be a bit more tricky. And I think Stevenson feels in that need a little bit better. Pompey that matches in, he says, do you think injuries were sneaking us, sneak up on us like they did in previous seasons? Or is the depth and quality finally there? Finally there, I suppose, to be seen. And this Port Vale game will give us a good benchmark on on that. But you have seen when we've had players drop in and we've got a lot of flexibility in the squad. And even when Robertson playing, dropping back in, etc. Sparks coming in and playing well. I do want to say, Freddie, just quickly on Sparks, his defending's been pretty average to okay. I mean, he's not set the world on fire defensively, but he's looked solid enough, hasn't he? And I think when we first got him in, people would talk about Denver Hume and his defending, etc. which, let's be honest, the Crawley reserve team running at him scared me. Whilst we're looking at Sparks, he seems to be doing everything he needs to do to be an, you know, an okay defender and exceptionally good going forward with his crossing ability. Absolutely, yeah. The Sparks isn't a liability at all in that back four. He's not the out-and-out wing-back that Denver Hume is. So no, I think Sparks has done incredibly well and has gone up on my expectations defensively, all while putting in very good performances going forward and helping Kamara and linking up as well. 
Uh, I think it might be a bit hard for Ogilvy to get back in the side when Sparks is there. I think it might it might have to be, you know, it might have to be the right game for Ogilvy to come back in. And that's the first time he's lost his position in quite a while, isn't it? That was actually my next question, Fred. So I like uh, I like the way you jump straight onto that. Do you think Conor Ogilvy can get back into the squad? You think in one of those senior players, he, sometimes in a squad, he just players like that automatically get their place back. So it's going to be interesting from a coaching point of view, because I could see Conor Ogilvy being a player that managers like, he's defensively responsible, you know, he's a good team player, you know, he's an experienced player. So it'd be interesting to see whether Messina decides to, when Ogilvy does come back, let Sparks carry on until potentially he feels that he doesn't have a good game, or whether it's maybe a tactical sort of thing. I haven't got the fixture list in front of me, but playing against someone like Bolton, for instance, or someone with that sort of really attacking style wingers who are going to get on top of you and, and be one-on-one defending a lot, a lot. Maybe that's the time when Ogilvy would come back in. What do you think? Yeah, I think you've hit a nail on the head with the last points. I think it'd be to just entirely depend on matchup. If we're playing against a side that gets all of his attacking joy from out wide, has wingers who can get high up the pitch, drive at fullbacks and get the ball into the box. I think Ogilvy's the player to bring back in. But against sides at home, like Wickham, for example, who are not getting into those areas, Sparks is a solid enough defender to cope with that, but also add so much going forward. Pompey SW missed in. He says, I love Raggett, but feel him and Shaughnessy are quite similar. Maybe shift Shaughnessy to the right side and bring Towler in. Stevenson has to come in and be trusted to replace Pack. Otherwise, he might as well leave in January. Sounds like Vale might have some absent players also. Yeah, we're going to talk about the absent players in the interview with Johnny from the Ale and Vale podcast. But do you think he's not going to change the shape, is it? Is he? And I can't see him no, pushing pushing it out the other way. Towler no. on the left side of centre back. I just, yeah, I can't. It'd be interesting to see if Riley Towler gets the nod in this game and gets put in ahead of Sean Raggett, then he must be doing a lot right in training. And I think Massinho must have seen a lot of progress from from Riley Towler to be able to have the confidence to put him in. Now, if that is the case and he does well, I'll be, you know, ecstatic because I like Riley Towler and I want him to continue to develop. And the best way to do that really is playing games. So if it's the case that he gets the nods and does well, you know, I'll be pretty happy because I could see him having more long-term development potential with the squad rather than Sean Raggett. But I'm still expecting Raggett really to come in uh, and play alongside Shaughnessy. Sam messages in and just says Raggett and Sven and um, Stevenson. So I think most people generally are feeling it's going to be the Raggett and Stevenson combination. But until then, I guess we just have to wait and see. Fred, is there anything else you want to talk about on the squad rotation before I move this on? That's pretty much it. I don't think they have to overly rotate because of how well Pompey have been playing. I think it's just replacing those players that they have to, really. I think the only other bit of injury news is Yangi is apparently back in full training. So it would be good to see him back soon as another option to bring on potentially behind Bishop or play alongside Bishop. It'll add a lot of a lot of options to the bench, I think. I think you would have seen him against Wickham a bit earlier on, brought on to try and add a, another sort of potential attacking threat when we're chasing the game. So, yeah, I can't wait to have Yangi back again. The bet, more goal scorers, the better. And we'll see when we talk to the Port Vale pod lads. But a lot of people are just saying they don't have any goal scorers in this league. And having a, a top goal scorer and then someone else who can come on and score is such a big asset to getting promoted out of this league. It sounds simple and obvious, but 
there's a lot of teams we talk to, isn't there, who don't have that. And the fact we're now sharing the goals around the team a little bit as well, you know, people chipping in with goals, it, it's just really good to see. Right, let's move on. We spoke to Johnny from the Ale and Vale podcast, which is a great name, by the way. Any Port Vale fans listening? To discuss everything about the game on Saturday against Port Vale. We spoke about the sort of the injury issues they've got going on at the moment. Port Vale is quite interesting style of play and how they like to stick to it and whether they'll do that in this game. And then just basically everything you need to know leading up to the game tactically. So here's Johnny from the Ale and Vale podcast. All right, I'm here with Johnny from the Ale and Vale podcast. And Johnny, thanks for coming on the show. Cheers, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you very much, buddy. It's been an interesting season for Port Vale, isn't it? Obviously, you know, you had the change of manager before. Some some from the outside might have thought that was quite a, a bit of a strange change, really. But I saw there was quite a lot of Port Vale fans that really weren't that happy with Daryl Clark. So how's, how's the new manager settled in? And, you know, are you guys happy with the the, the change in style? Yeah, I think I think the, the the key thing with Clark was he was loved for what he did in terms of promotion. He went through personal tragedy, and then we had a really good start to League One last year. And then Christmas hit, and we just we nose dived, and he was given a lot more leeway than your average manager would get because of the, the other bits and pieces that he got at the club. And then when he was sat, no one was really asking for him to go, but. I think we all knew it was time and we expected a complete fresh start, but Crosby, who was his assistant, came in and wasn't. no one was really overly excited with it, but he's come in and he's done he's, he's done a better job than we probably could have hoped at this time, even with the recent run of results. It's quite interesting because obviously you started the season, you know, really hot after the, the Barnsley game, obviously, which is never to be spoken of ever again in, in uh, at your place. But, that's also skewed the numbers a little bit, but I'm just looking at are you guys now, so you haven't won in four, really, three three losses, one draw. Is it down to the sort of key personnel losses? You've got some injuries, haven't you? Yeah, we've got a few injuries. It, it's, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to put it down to one thing, really, because we lost to Burton, who, if you ask any Burton fan, we, we should have won that game with a better side. Their keeper played an absolute blinder, made eight saves in that game. So you kind of, you, you look at it and you go, you, you have to write that one off. We've played worse this season than we did against Burton in one game. So you, you kind of write that one off as one of them games. And then we go to Cambridge and we were better side first off and they were the better side second off. We played Bolton at home, who they were the miles better side first off, but we absolutely hammered them second off. We just couldn't score. So it's kind of like, Looking at results on paper looks bad, but when you actually look, if you look at the stats in all them games, we've been equal or better than the team that we've that we dropped points to. So it's been a it, it's it's been an easy one to take in terms of the defeats because at least we're playing well. You know yourself that you can take a defeat if if, if you're playing well, but it's a hard one to take because we should we should have picked up more points. But then I think we. we we should be on three points more now than we would have expected if you worked it out at the start of the season. I think I had us down for about 14 points after 10 games. So, Yeah, Paul Fowler are doing reasonably well at the start of the season, currently on eight, eighth place, 17 points. Only 11 goals, but your club might have addressed that because I saw that you signed 
Uche Piazu about four hours ago. W- what do you think of that news? Do you think he'll add a dimension to the side that they don't have at the moment? Yeah, Uche, Uche is coming back. So um, we had him on loan when he was a young lad, and he was he was massive then. He was he was quick. He was strong, but he had a first touch like a trampoline, and he, he'd be as as likely to hit you in the face in the stands as he would hit the back of the net. So if he's addressed that side of his game, which Middlesbrough paid over a million pounds for him, so there's got to be a half decent player in there. So if, if he's if he's addressed that side of it, we've got a really good player. I think Uch, when when we had him, his key his key play was was his link up. We had a, a young lad called um, Enoch Ando at the time who was linked with Spurs and then ruptured his ACL, was out for two years and just he never made it back and has been knocking around on league since. And them two had a real good relationship because Uch was your your big target man, almost your your lump up there. And Ando would just sprint off the off the side of him and do his bits. So if we can get that side of it playing, I think we've got a good player. It's just another striker really in our squad that you wouldn't naturally call a goal scorer. And that's kind of our main thing is we haven't got a proper number nine. You guys have got Colby Bishop, who you'd say is a proper goal scorer, but we haven't. We we don't. We we can't look at that and pick out one. So our central midfielder Ben Garrity's got four goals this season for us, which puts him up there with the top goal scorers in the league. But you don't really want your centre mid being there, so you don't mind him being there. But at the end of the season, you're going to get your strikers in and around that top goal scorer mark, aren't you? Do you feel like the club have not replaced Ellis Harrison after he left? Have to mention him because of the Pompey connection, obviously. Yeah, I, I don't. He wasn't really a goal scorer. Um, like last season, I think he got eleven goals and six of them were penalties. So, and I'm not obviously a penalty counts just as much as a as a thirty yard screamer. So I'm not discounting the fact that he scored the penalty, but it's it also skews the figures of a goal scorer as well. So I think we've we've got enough to replace him. It just hasn't clicked in that number nine position yet. Would you say then, I was, I was looking at some of the numbers before we did this and I thought it was interesting that we both had pretty much the same amount of shots from open play. Do you feel that you guys are maybe shooting a little bit further from distance and sort of putting shots on goal? Because I noticed your XG, for instance, is about two lower than ours with the same amount of shots. Is it just a, a case of getting shots on goal if you haven't got that quality striker up top? Yeah, it's it's we are we are having more shots from range, and we've had quite a bit of success from from range as well. But I think one of the things is that we're not we're not making the most of chances either. Like yesterday, for example, Wilson had. Two two chances that one of the two chances a twenty goal a season striker puts away comfortably, and I think that's that that's sort of the issue with us. We're we're scoring the harder chances and the ones that you think he's got to score this, we're just not putting away. And we talked about that they're just sort of like what you do when you've got the ball. And what what are Port Vale like when you when you're sort of defending when you're sort of out of possession? Looking at the formation, does that drop? Does that back three drop into a five? I notice in if from a pressing sort of basis, you don't look a high pressing team. But when you win the ball back, you do seem to create quite a lot of chances from it. 
Yeah, so we, we we do drop into a five. It's it's quite a flexible one, depending on who the wing backs are. Depends on what we do. So if Connor Grant starts left wing back, we we kind of drop into a back four, and he's more left sided midfielder at that point. If Planty's at left wing back, we drop into a proper five. So it it depends on who we who we start. Really depends on what the ethos is. But the main thing is that. There's the three, and then the two holding midfielders just in front that kind of act as a as a screen, and then everything else just fits around there in terms of a bit of chaos with the the front three ish. Who who are the players that Pompey fans need to look out for? Then, obviously, Ben Garrett is obviously probably one of the major ones, but I do recognise some other players in the team. I do like the I do like Colin Ripley, the keeper. Produced a few yeah, good saves last season. Are there any other names that you want to pluck out for Pompey fans to look out for on Saturday? I suppose it depends who's fit. That's the problem at the minute. Our most creative player, Ethan Cheslett, which I think you guys were linked with in the summer, he's he's out injured, and we haven't won a game when he hasn't played yet. So that's that, that that's that's a story in itself. But if you're looking at a player that's going to play higher level, then. Ollie Arblast is the one. Just just watch him. You'll see. He'll play for England one day. That boy will. He's he's head and shoulders above this league um, already at eighteen. So it, that'll be interesting. And then Alfie Devine, England under twenty international. He hasn't quite hit hit the heights yet of what you'd expect from signing him. But as soon as that clicks, we, we we've got a good player on his hands there. So they're the two from the outside to watch that are going to be fit. And then the rest at the minute just depends because we have got a bit of an injury crisis. We've got five players out injured, I think. Does Alfie Devine in the front three, does he sort of, on the right, does he sort of stay quite narrow then and get the get the width from the wing back to provide crossing from, from the sides and then he sort of plays almost more like an inside forward? Yeah, so so we play we play three at the back, two wing backs, two cent- central midfielders and then two attacking midfielders behind a single. So the... They are attacking midfielders. They're not wingers. They're not wide forwards or anything. They are. They 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 play quite centrally. So we play a lot of our stuff, kind of in between that edge of the box and the in the byline for the wing backs, and we try and work it in that way. Now signing Nick Pace, who might might change because he's six foot four, so that might actually give us that option to go a bit more direct and change what we're doing. But yeah, it's at the minute it's. We've got a we've got a set way of playing, and it's pretty to watch because we keep the ball, we play, we play the ball well, we will pass it around, but we have got to be more clinical. Do you expect um, the team then to play the same way at Pompey? Do you think they're going to come out, try and keep hold of the ball, try and play it out through the thirds, and and try and generate chances that way, or do you expect like some teams have come to us and tried to sit back a little bit, or or try and play a little bit deeper against us? Do you expect Port Vale to sort of change the tactics, or just play the Port Vale way that you were talking about there? Well, what we've tended to do against clubs that are bigger or better form is we've tended to sit back for a half and try and soak it up and then go full throttle the next sort of half. So, so against Bolton, the idea was to hold back and then second half hit them. And we did that. We just we conceded in the first half when obviously that's not the plan. And then the second half, we just couldn't score. So I think the idea will be contain and then operate the press when we get the chance to, but it's very much dependent on 
as I say, fitness at the minute, and we may even have to change formation if if we haven't got enough players fit because we we've just been told that one of our key centre halves is out for eight weeks. So it's um it's it's going to be a difficult one. So anything could happen at the weekend, but I think we've got a we've got a philosophy at the minute, and it doesn't look like he's going to deviate from that too much. But sometimes needs must. What's your opinion on the philosophy then? Because Saturday's game might be a bit different because Pompey are also missing key players through bookings and injuries. Do you think this philosophy of passing out from passing out from the back to a certain extent and then pressing in certain times? Do you think that'll work against a Pompey side that can be a bit gritty at times? I think I think it'll work against any side in the league if you if you actually stick to it and play play that way. I think the big thing with it is you've got to you've got to know when you've got to know when to go long. And that's I think that there's this stigma around the long ball at the minute. Um from, from people it's it's kind of like a it's it's the latest buzzword, isn't it? If you if you kick it long from a goal kick, everyone's like, oh but sometimes there's a, there's a time and a place for it. So I think we will mix it up, dependent on who the strike force end, ends up being. When Josh Thomas is on the pitch, we we do go longer because he's he's got pace, he's little, he likes going down the channels. So we aren't afraid to mix it up. But I think the big thing is that we'll we'll come to your place with a plan, and hopefully we'll we'll obviously stick with it. But it's. In the minute, it's just it's just really hard to see with the injuries how how we how we fit in with what we've been doing. Freddie touched a minute ago, and I suppose for anyone listening who's a Port Vale fan about sort of players who've got injuries or missing. You know, Alex Robertson picked up a second yellow card and we got a yellow card in the last game, so he's now suspended for the game. He sort of plays as a sort of like number ten or or as an eight for us, and he's been he's really good. Mullen Pack is is probably going to be injured as well in the centre midfield for us as well. So there's our skipper and, and Talis Man in the middle there, and Regan Paul, who's up, you know, up, up pretty much our best centre back as well, also picked up a yellow, so he's also going to be unavailable for this game. So there is some opportunity, I suppose, that we're going to have to rotate some of our squad in for this game. So you know, you've got some injuries, but I suppose from a Port Vale, you know, lookout it's a bit of an unknown really, isn't it? Because we're both going to have different players fitting in and it's going to be a bit of a difficult game, I suppose, to predict for, for both of us. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. You look at your squad and the one thing you know is that we we, we know Nathan Smith's going to start centre-half and you know Colby Bishop's going to be there. So we, we know that. We, we know the fact that Smith, he's got previous with Bishop. Um, he got him sent off when when he played for Accrington, and then I think last last season down at your place they had a bit of a to do as well. So we know that Smithy and Bishop have got a bit of history there. Um, but apart from that, the other ten, but other than Connor Ripley for us, the other nine players can probably stake a claim for it. So yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a difficult one. I think it's going to be a test of both managers' credentials, be both being relatively new to the jobs, um, but. I, th- I think on paper you've got the thicker squad than we have, so you should be able to cope with it. It's just whether we can exploit the fact that whoever comes in from Marlon Park is isn't going to be as good as him. So, yeah, I think that's definitely fair. All right, let's wrap this up and uh, I'll let you get off and do whatever the rest of the evening, Johnny. So, gonna get a score prediction from you, mate. And if you could do any goal scorers, um, 
I fancy Colby Bishop to get one. So yeah, I think I think you're I think you're gonna win two one. So I think it's gonna be a two one defeat for us, but yeah. Um I think for us Josh Thomas will get the goal, but yeah, it'll be a two one defeat. It's the classic Pompey scoreline at the moment, two one. Well, yeah, as you say, we'll score first as well because that seems to be happening a lot for you, doesn't it? Yeah, that seems seems to be the way at the moment, but we'll, we'll see how that pans out. But Johnny, um, why don't you tell people where they can find your podcast? Yeah, so we're we're on Spotify, Apple Music, and a few other bits and pieces. But head over onto the Twitter page, and you'll you'll find all the links there if you want to listen to our preview, which will be well, it'll be a review of Bristol Rovers and a preview of the Pompey game. So that'll be out later tonight. Amazing. And as always, good luck for the rest of the season, except for on Saturday and the returning fixture. Cheers, mate. You too. Thanks, Johnny. Cheers, Johnny. Thanks, Johnny, for coming on the podcast. Fred, Port Vale, you know, are coming up against us, not at full strength. And although on paper it says they've, you know, they've lost three out of four, one draw in that as well. Johnny was talking about the performances being quite good despite the losses in those games. It's still going to be a team a little bit who are not maybe in the best confidence, missing to their most creative player. So even though we've got players out, this should be a game really, shouldn't it? That Pompey can, if you want to go up in this in this division, go and get three points. Yeah, if that's the expectation, if promotion is you know, uh, where we should be, which is always where the Blues should have been every season in League One. You have to win these sorts of games. I know that Vale are a very good side, but they've rotated by the sounds of it more than Pompey have. they got more injuries and more issues than Pompey have. Johnny mentioned potentially changing the formation or even changing the style of play with Ipiazu coming in. So there's, there's a lot of upheaval in that side, arguably more so than Pompey. So, I know I, I am slightly concerned about the squad depth for Pompey and then the, these players who haven't started a fair number of games coming back in, but they have to have the quality to get it over the line. The fact that Portville don't really have that striker to put, 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 put your put your money on to score goals is, is incredibly helpful and they're missing the most creative player. So I think, I think Pompey will just about do all right. I think they'll manage. It'll be interesting to see if Portville do end up sitting deeper and if they do, whether they try and play out against us, because they do try and play the ball out. So it'll be interesting to see whether they stick to that tactic and don't press too high. But they do break and press. You know, they've got 13 goals. Sorry, they've got 13 shots that have been caused from high turnovers, which is the same as us. So they actually don't press high, Fred. But when they do, they do seem to be able to turn into chances. They're also going to shoot from from distance, try and get shots on goal. Things that you sort of do, I suppose, when you haven't got an out and out goal scorer to try and feed the ball through to to score. So, in this game, if, I think I feel like if we can keep the Shaughnessy and whoever insert centre back partnership works okay, if we can keep that running smoothly enough without Regan Paul at the back, then I sort of feel that we should be okay to have enough here to 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 beat Port Vale. I think it's only about what you think, but that for me that feels like the the main thing that we've got to look out for. Yeah, absolutely. We have to deal with Port Vale putting in a lot of shots and being able to press in those high areas if they're still going to play like that. And probably have to control the game in possession, which 
whenever Pompey have done that, they've done very well. They've done it against better teams like Derby, away from home. So hopefully they should be able to do it at Fratton Park again. All right, let's get into you, Fred. I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers. Oh, I was going to be single call, but I'm not, actually. I'm going to go with a 3-1 horse of win. And I'm going to go for Pompey goal scorers. I'm going to say a Bishop Hattrick. Why not? He, uh, he hasn't scored a, uh, has he scored a hat-trick for Pompey? I don't think he has. Not that I know of. So but, uh, Saturday's the day. Saturday's the day. It's going to be Bishop's first hat-trick. And he's going to, at this rate, end up with top, with top goal scorer in this league. Absolutely love that. If he gets a hat-trick, I'm going to be over the moon, obviously. But Bish hat-trick. I'm going to go 2-1 Pompey. Why not? It is the score of the moment. I'm going to go 2-1. I, I was going to go 2-0, but... I don't know. We seem to like conceding a goal, don't we? So I'm going to go 2-1. I'm going to go with goals from Paddy Lane and Cobby Bishop. Nice and safe. I was going to say Robertson, but he's not playing. I, I, sort, of, <laughs> I sort of feel like he's due a goal. So whenever time I do goal scorers, I just sort of pops up in my head. But obviously he's not playing. So Lane and Bishop, 2-1 Pompey. All right. Fred, just on the podcast. Oh, thanks very much, you. It's been lovely, and uh, thanks to the listeners for keep it, keep on listening to it, and keep on top of things. Yeah, nice one, guys. And until next time, get well, Andy Mitchell's internet and play Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!